7. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you know what's happening here. David is running from Saul, and he comes to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And, and when he meets him, he tells him that he's on a mission from Saul, and, and he gets some food from him, and he gets, gives him, he doesn't even have a sword, he gives him Goliath's sword. And while he's there, while David is there, there's a man there in verse number 7. It says, now a certain man of the servants, notice that. That's going to come back in a little bit in this message. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg the Edomite the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of the Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take it, take it, for there is no other, other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Now, if you would please, look over at chapter number 22. And look down with me at verse number 9. Now, after this whole story keeps progressing, Saul's here talking to his people. And we'll back it up to verse number 7, please. I want you to see this. Then Saul said to his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? So this is a great example of a, a cowardly, wicked leader, all right? What he's trying to do is he's trying to bribe the people. He's trying to tell them, like they told us back when I was in business, they said, make sure you always give them the with them. What's in it for me? Give everybody the with them. Make sure they know what's in it for them. Make it all about them, like modern day church is doing. Make it all about them and then they'll come back. Make sure your sales pitch them real good so they'll come back. It's not about whether or not you want the truth anymore. That's what this place stands for, by the way, and we're not going to apologize for it, and I'm not going to change it. I could care less what you think or what you're looking for in church. Well, what do you guys believe about? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I believe about it, and if that's not what you're looking for, find another place to go to church. Because you're not walking in here and trying to persuade this church to match your doctrinal position. Like, like we just last night fell off the turnip truck and this church just accidentally came to be and the pastor can just quickly be persuaded to start speaking in tongues because that's what you want. You lost your stinking marbles, man. You're in the wrong place. We're here about the truth of the Word of God and we're not changing it. We're giving them the truth. Amen. But a wicked leader, he ain't going to talk to him like I just talked to you and then say, you're welcome to come if you want to come under those terms. He's going to buy them off. And make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. So not only does he offer them something monetarily, but then he offers to give them promotion and get their name recognized, give them bragging rights. You know what I'm saying? And then he says this, that all of you have conspired against me. Now he starts, now here's a manipulative leader. I sure hope when we talk about this kind of stuff, you do your own gut check. Because I can't possibly spell everything out the whole time. I'm hoping God gets you. If you see Saul in you, you need to get that right. A manipulative, you're all conspiring against me. He's manipulating them. And he's doing it, watch this, a manipulative leader will make false accusations to try to micromanage and control the people and strike fear into their hearts. We're not conspiring against you. We're not talking about you. No, no way. That there is none that showeth me that my son hath make a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that feel sorry for me. See how wicked he is? That's a manipulative leader. That's a wicked man. This man is saying, listen, you're all conspiring against me. I'm here to bribe you. And how come nobody feels sorry for me? That ain't leadership. Or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at this day. Now watch it. Then answered Doeg the Edomite. Ah, something in this guy sure liked Saul, boy. Some people follow wicked people because they're wicked people. Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. This loser didn't run to Saul and tell him what he saw. He didn't get there first thing after he saw David and say, hey, I need to tell you something. He waited 
to see how Saul felt about the whole thing. And when he saw his opportunity for promotion, he saw his opportunity to manipulate the system, he saw his opportunity to take care of himself, then he steps forward. This man's slimy and nasty and wicked and weak and dangerous. And I mean a dangerous man. I'll never forget years ago, my preacher told me this. He said, you watch out for any man. He was giving me pastoral advice. And he said, when you're pastoring, you watch out for any man who kowtows to his superiors and then steps on his inferiors. That's a wicked man and that's a dangerous man. In other words, he's saying, don't be the kind of guy that can be manipulated and let apple polish and yes men into your inner circle because those kind of men turn around and abuse the people beneath them and they'll cut your throat, stab your back every day of the week. And that's what this man is. I, I hate him. You shouldn't say that. You need to learn your Bible. I hate him. God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hate him. And Doeg the Edomite's a man that any righteous man ought to hate and not want anywhere near him. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. He's telling him all the inside. So what happens here for the sake of time is that then David turns and he says, Saul turns and he says, all right, fall on him and slay him. Bring Abiathar here. I want him dead. And I want, I want all the priests, uh, 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 Ahimelech here. I want him dead. And so he brings Ahimelech. None of the guys will do it. And he, all the guys said, we're not killing the priest. But Doeg the Edomite, he said, I'll do it. So he brings Abimelech there and he kills the priest and he kills 50 more priests. And then he goes to Nob and he wipes out Nob. 45 more priests, I believe it was, not 50. So he kills Abimelech and then he kills 45 more priests. Then he goes to Nob, the city of the priests, and wipes out the women, wipes out the children. It says the infants and the children. It says children and sucklings to let you know he killed the children, the little ones that are, that are weaned and running around playing, and he killed the infants. He slaughtered the entire... And it says he killed the oxes, he killed the asses, and he killed the sheep. You're talking about a vile, wicked, godless, depraved, heartless man. A wicked man. The subject matter tonight is going to be the righteous versus the wicked. So what he does then, what happens here is down in verse number 20, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of a high tub named Abiathar. So Ahimelech's the priest that got killed by Doeg. Abiathar escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the priests. David said to Abiathar, I knew it. I knew it that day. When Doeg the Edomite was there. What, things know, what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man that's in him? You got a righteous man there. And he looks over and he sees this wicked, demon-possessed psychopath there. And he's like, that's not good. Down in his gut when he looked at him, he didn't like him. I knew it. That he would surely tell Saul. Now watch David, what a good man David is. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. He took responsibility. What a leader. Abide thou with me. Fear not. For he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. And there's your historical application of Psalm chapter number 52. You see that? That's the title. Go back to Psalm 52 and let me show you the doctrinal application and then I'm going to run through three points and I'll try to do it quickly, but look at the doctrinal application. Here's where things get a little bit interesting. Notice, first of all, he says this, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. You remember what I told you about Selah? It means that doctrinally, this is a tribulation application. Every time you see the word Selah as you go through the Psalms, you're going to find that the tribulation period is in that thing doctrinally. Now watch. He's talking about a wicked man destroying righteous men and working deceitfully. What is that other than the man of sin, the Antichrist? I'm going to show you some references in a second that show you how amazing this Bible is. You read through your Psalms like, I just don't understand the Bible. and they got a great practical application. They do, but I'm telling you, this book is layered, man. There's a lot more in this book than just, oh, that made me feel good. It's an amazing book. I hope you get addicted to it. A whole lot better than crack. 
pot, alcohol, heroin, meth, pornography, immorality, or anything else people are addicted to nowadays. You ought to get addicted to this book. It's amazing. Look at verse 4. Thou lovest devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Selah. There it is again. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. You see that? And strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Ain't that weird how he likens himself to a green olive tree? What's that olive tree got to do with anything? Go with me to the book of Zechariah, please. Why does he stick a green olive tree in there all of a sudden? Zechariah and then Malachi in your Old Testament. So it's the second to the last book in your Old Testament. Zechariah, Malachi. Look at Zechariah chapter 4 and look at verse number 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man is wakened out of his sleep. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and his seven lamps. Notice seven lamps. Ain't that interesting? Thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it one on the right side of the bull and the other on the left side thereof. All right? Stop real quick. Keep your finger here in Zechariah, please, and go with me to the book of Revelation. We'll come back to Zechariah in just a minute. Look at Revelation, please, in chapter number 1. I want you to see, first of all, because we're going to reference back to it in just a little bit, but I don't want to have to turn back here. So just look at this and... Stick it in your head, all right? Uh, Revelation chapter, se- chapter 1, verse 7. Did I say 1, 7 or 7, 1? 1, 7, okay. Uh, Behold, he cometh with clouds, right? And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, that's Israel. And all the kindreds of the earth, see that? The contrast between Israel and the rest of the earth. Shall wail because of him, even so, Amen. Now, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. So, we the church, and I don't have time to run all the references tonight, but let me just stick it in your head. Most of you already know this. We the church are going to get raptured out at the last trump. The Lord's going to rapture His church out. When He does, He turns back to dealing with Israel. And there's going to be a seven-year period on this earth called the Great Tribulation And when the great tribulation comes, it is just that. It's not tribulation, which we're heading into right now. Wars and rumors of wars, Russia and China and and plagues that spread the the entire planet and stuff you never heard of before and and, and, and mass killings and mass shootings and suicides and, and just complete, absolute insanity. And what you're seeing right now, I'll tell you this, I'm just... Take it or leave it, okay? This is my opinion because I'm not on a supernatural level. I'm telling you what you're seeing right now is a massive rise in demon possession and demonic activity. It happened at the first coming of Jesus Christ. It's happening now. And it's going to happen real bad when the great tribulation begins and God raptures His church out. So you've got a seven-year period on this earth where literally all hell will break loose on this earth. The Great Tribulation. The whole world's turning against Israel, just about wipes her out, and at the very end of that tribulation, their Messiah, Jesus Christ, who they pierced, comes back in the clouds, and they see Him put one foot down on the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of what? I'm like a green what? Interesting, ain't it? And He splits that mountain in half, and He puts one other foot on the Mediterranean Sea, and there He is, man, coming back. The battle of Armageddon takes place. That whole thing gets nasty. We'll get into that as we go through the book of Revelation. Suffice it to say, when you get here to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it's interesting that it says, He cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him. You know why that's interesting? People say, well, how is every eye going to see Him if the globe's round? And then the flat earthers say, well, the earth's flat. That's how they're going to see Him and, and all that stuff. But there's more to it. How is every eye going to see Him all the way around the planet. Uh, uh, Television. No. The power grid's going to be down. 
people are going to be turned from what they are nowadays in this massive techie, wise, we think we know everything and got all the information into not being able to even run your refrigerator. The electrical grid's going to be gone. I'm going to show you in a minute how bad it's going to be on this planet. People are going to be like animals. Do you know cannibalism is going to be common? Cannibalism. Women eating their own children for dinner. Oh, come on. Hey, a cop I train with showed me a picture of a woman's face after her boyfriend bit her cheek off. Off. They said, we didn't find any of the meat because he swallowed it. That's right here in Novi. I didn't say in the ghetto in Flint. I didn't say in the worst parts of Detroit. I said right here in Novi. Tripping meth. That's the generation you're in. Aren't you happy you came tonight on a nice stormy night? <laughs> well, the Lord's going to come back. Now look at chapter 7. Keep looking down here. Look at uh, verse 13. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, like one like unto the Son of God. You see the seven candlesticks? Look down at verse number 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Did you notice back in Zechariah chapter 4 it said the seven lamps thereof and the seven pipes? And then there's also two olive trees in Zechariah 4 chapter 3. So it's putting, it puts those, those two in Zechariah 4, 2 and 3. You got the seven candlesticks and then you got the two olive trees. Well, what in the world's that? We'll go to Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 6. Revelation chapter number 6. Look at verse 8. Oh, no, wait a minute. Go to Revelation uh, 17 for... No, wait, I think this is it. Revelation 8, yes. Revelation 8. Look at verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. You see, that's the kind of uh, uh, famine that's going on in the world. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, you see that? The souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. Now hang on a minute. You know what Doeg did? He killed all the guys that worked at the altar. Didn't he? He swiped out the priests. Now that's interesting how that's a typology. That thing is showing you and foreshadowing to you Something that's coming in the future, doctrinally applying to something happening in the tribulation period. And he said, I saw the souls of them were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as, as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was an earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And I saw the stars fell unto the earth, and even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of the mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it had been rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men. And every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They know exactly who he is. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world in the tribulation. They know exactly who he is. And the sun is scorching them in other passages that we'll show you at another time. And when the sun is scorching them, you know what they do? It's called global warming. It's getting so hot that the sun is burning them up. And you know what wicked men do when God's burning them up? They shake their fist at heaven and curse God. They know it's Him. And instead of repenting, they curse Him for putting them through it. 
They know this is the Lamb. Verse 17, For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? I don't have time to turn to all these passages, but the Bible tells us that God's going to shorten those days, the days of the tribulation period. And it tells us that the Antichrist comes and seeks to change times and seasons. Change times. Let me ask you a question. How can you change time? There's 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, right? And that's all set and determined by the rising and setting of the sun, isn't it? How are you going to change that? But somebody comes and says he's going to change times and seasons, and God Almighty says, if I didn't shorten those days for the elect's sake, they wouldn't have made it. I'm going to shorten the days. Now, here's something wild that I don't want you to put any stock in whatsoever, okay? I just want to show you something because people say, how could every eye see him if he spread all over the world? First, let me give you the first answer. Can I give you the first answer? Excuse me for a minute for being a jerk. Let me tell you why. Because God said it, so it's going to happen. You don't need an explanation. You need to know the Word of God and know what God said and say, God said it, that means it's happening, whether I understand it or not. Because God said every eye is going to look upon Him and all the kindreds of the earth are going to wail, then let me tell you what's going to happen. Every eye is going to see Him and all the kindreds of the earth, every last one of them, are going to wail when they see Him out of absolute terror-stricken fear after all Lucifer's done to him, them, after the crazy weather patterns and the insane things happening. When they see Him, that's when they're really going to come apart. Now, now that I said that, can I give you a little extra faith in the Bible because we're humans and sometimes we need some answers? <laughs> Let me just show you something that modern day scientists, and I don't want you to put any stock in this, and I'll tell you why in a second. I, I read this article. If the earth spins faster than its usual pace, the days would be shorter or would, could cut in half. That means that having 24 hours a day, it would become 12 hours a day. And, and this is because I don't have time to read it all to you. Okay, because the, the fact is, the scientists say that they're observing the fact that days are getting shorter. They're saying that time is speeding up. An older preacher I respect, but I, I don't want to quote him right now in case he doesn't want to be labeled with it, said that back in the day, the, the grandfather clock would go tick, tock, tick, tock. And he said, you watch them now, they go tick. It's speeding up. And God said He's going to shorten those days, right? So what they're saying, that means that instead of having 24 hours in a day, it would become 12. Also, if that's the case, if the earth is speeding up, the water level will rise by 100 meters as the centrifugal force of the earth pull the water from the poles to the equator, which would likely, notice that, wipe out Indonesia and most of South America and Africa will turn into two disconnected islands with Mount Kilimanjaro poking at the tip of the newly high oceans. Additionally, the quickened speed of the earth rotation would cause more hurricanes because the increased water levels near the equators would come along with huge amounts of humidity that would create a band of fog around the equator. Scientists are saying, if this is happening, we could be in trouble. You know, people are going to start believing that now because they say it. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I said don't put any stock in it, right? Didn't I say that? Because that's the words of men. I found other articles saying the exact opposite is happening. If you feel like time's slowing down, that's because it is. They don't have a clue. What I'm trying to point out to you is that as they study stuff, they say, hey, look at what could happen if the foundations of the earth, which I don't have time to take you to, I was going to show you that in Psalm 82, because God stands and judges among the gods. And when God is judging among the gods, that is direct created beings, fallen angels that God is judging. Also in Psalms, so we'll get there when we get to Psalm 82. Also in Psalms, God's going to judge them. And when God judges among them, He says the foundations of the earth are out of course. The whole thing's coming apart. So the scientists are saying they're seeing some crazy stuff. They might be. Because the Bible talks about the nation of Israel being born again as a nation. 
like a woman in travail and the earth bringing forth a child and she's having those contractions and as she gets closer and closer to the great tribulation or having given birth, which is the tribulation period when God comes back and a nation is born in a day when they see their Messiah, what you got right now is you got the contractions. We're getting really close to the coming of Jesus Christ. Have I sufficiently confused you or are you staying with me? I know I'm talking fast. So now go to Revelation chapter 11. The green olive tree, right? Take heart. We're still in the introduction. You can sleep tomorrow night. Revelation chapter 11. Let me get the exact verses here because I lost my spot here. Uh, it's going to show you about the who the green... I can find it. Um, look at verse number uh, 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses... And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. You know how long that is? Three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, check this out. Fire shall proceed out of their mouth and devour their enemies. If any man, if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Signs. Miracles. Why? What do we talk about Sunday night? They're sign gifts, right? In Corinthians, speaking in tongues, healing the sick, raising all that stuff, right? The sign gifts are to who? You know what God's dealing with in the tribulation period? You know why the signs come back in the tribulation period? Because God's dealing with the Jews. You know what you got nowadays in the church? It's a fake, demonic, antichrist, perverted application of what the Bible teaches the sign gifts are for. It's wrong. It's a false Christ, and it's a false spirit. And you can tell them I said so. It'll tick them off real bad. Because they won't reject their experiences to allow the Word of God to be right. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. It's Moses and Elijah. Those are the two guys that did it before. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. You see it? Shut in heaven, Elijah. Waters to blood, Moses. And to smite the earth with all plagues, Moses. As often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem spiritually is Sodom and Egypt. They say right now Tel Aviv is one of the most wicked cities in the world, in Israel. And their dead bodies shall lie on the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their bodies to be put in graves. So it's going to be hot out, right? We already discussed that. Uh, and the sun's going to be scorching them. And dead bodies laying in the street for three and a half days. They're bloated and nasty, disgusting, and they stink to high heaven. And look what the people are doing. And they that dwell upon the earth, verse 10, shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Some preachers say it might be Christmas time. Making merry and sending gifts. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, Come up hither. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Now it's a mid-tribulation rapture. All right, go back to Zechariah, please. So we're looking at the green olive trees, right? That's those two guys right there. That's Moses and Elijah. Oh, that's Zephaniah, no wonder. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 4. So I answered in verse number 3, I answered the angel and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, Who what are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said, Knowest thou not that these be? And I said, No, my Lord. He didn't get it. Let that comfort your heart, because not every time do you get it either. And an angel's talking to a, to a prophet, and he's like, God, what are you talking about? It's great to have a completed revelation. I'm glad I'm not Zechariah. I'm glad I get to read what John saw. Amen? The Bible's amazing, folks. The angel talked, oh, I said, no, my Lord, verse 6. And he answered and said unto me, saying, he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word which the Lord of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, 
Skip down with me for the sake of time, please, to verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. That's Moses and Elijah over there in Revelation chapter 11 that I showed you. And you're going to notice the connection to the, to the golden candlesticks. Say, what's that got to do with anything, preacher? Go back to Psalm chapter 51. Let's make an application to you and I. In Psalm chapter 51, what, I'm sorry, 52. In Psalm chapter 52, what does David say? In verse number 8, he says, But I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. You know what I find interesting about that? When you go over and you study the book of, uh, I believe it's 2 Kings or 1 Kings, you know what you find in the house of God? They made a lot of the doors and the frames and that stuff out of olive trees. You know what David's saying? There's a wicked man. His name is Doag, and I'm a righteous man. And I want to be like a green olive tree, but he, in verse 5, is rooted up. He said, I got a root. I got my roots down. My roots are in the house of God like we were preaching about Sunday morning. But God's going to root him up. The difference between the righteous versus the wicked. Three things fast. Are you ready? Number one, they both boast. Righteous men and wicked men both boast. You ever have a wicked person say, well, you're just like me. You ain't better than I am. You're right. You're a boaster and so am I. You see the difference in what they boast in? Look at what the wicked man boasts in. Why boasteth thou thyself? First of all, a wicked man boasts in himself. You'll see it everywhere. Are you a wicked man? You proud of you? You think a lot of you? You boasting in yourself? Then you're probably a wicked man. Boasteth thyself in mischief. Notice what he's boasting in. He's boasting in mischief. Doeg was proud of what he'd done. Oh, mighty man, I killed them all! Oh, yeah? You're something, aren't you? You know what you are? You're wicked. You know what you'll notice? You'll notice the might and the power of wicked people. I'm telling you today, you're going to see it. They get richer, they get stronger, they get mightier. In the tribulation period, they sell out to Lucifer and that's what makes them rich. They get the mark so they can buy and sell and get food. And they wipe out God's people. They ruthlessly wipe out God's people. And those souls are under the altar saying, How long, O Lord? And God's saying, I know who's righteous and I know who's wicked. You stick with me and you wait. Why? Because they boast in what they do. You young people, listen to me. Wicked people will brag about what they do. Did you hear me? They'll brag about what they do. You mark somebody who always wants to tell you about their sin. You mark them. I am telling you, nine times out of ten, they're wicked. If all they want to talk about is what they used to be, what they used to do, what they did, their sin, they're groveling in and glorying in the past. Listen, that's those, those wicked women that you talked about in the prophets over there, Holabah and Holamar, something like that. He said, you multiplied your whoredom, old lady, and reminiscing in and thinking about and talking about what you used to be. You're too old to do it anymore, but you can't stop thinking about it. You're filthy inside and you're multiplying what you used to be because you're always talking about the wickedness of your past. Quit being wicked. If you're ashamed of what you are, shut up about it. Stop thinking about it. Because the devil's trying to use that to provoke that wicked flesh and get you thinking about the old days. It's Friday night. I remember what I used to do on Friday night. Why are you thinking about that? You want to go back there? God delivered you from that stuff. A wicked man boasts in himself and boasts in his mischief. He's always thinking about what he used to be. This man's boasting about what he did to the people of God. A wicked man's tongue deviseth mischiefs. It's like a sharp razor. It works deceitfully. So he's hurting people and cutting people with his tongue. He's deceitful. He's a liar. He's a, he's a sneak. He's mischievous. In verse number 3, a wicked man loves evil more than good. He always wants to... You ever see these people that are happy when they hear about your problems. 
They want to know and think everything's going bad in your life. Come on, don't look at me like that. You have some enemies too. I'm not the only one that has enemies. I mean, it's like you could go to them, how's the church go? Oh, the church is doing great and tell them all this good stuff. And they're, they're, they're asking questions or they target your kids. And they ask your kids questions. Is anybody divorced in the room? Anybody have to deal with an ex that you'd rather, you know, wish would drive off a cliff or something like that and they haven't yet? You know what I mean? They, they, they poke the kids for questions. And what they're doing is they're trying to find out how miserable the poor child is and everything you're doing wrong and how bad it's going over there. That's a wicked person. They delight in me. Mischief. They delight in evil. They want to hear the bad news. And, and if you're not careful, you'll notice it's in your nature too. Like my preacher said, don't come to me with the juicy gossip because I want to hear it and I'm going to tell somebody. <laughs> He's joking, but it's a really good point. That's wicked people. They delight in all the bad things. They delight in all the mischief. They always want to find out what's going on. And, and of course, it's hidden under the disguise of, we're praying for you. Well, thank you. You know, I, you know what I've been tempted to say? I don't need your prayers. I haven't said that because really I do. You know what I mean? And I might be taking a chance that they really are praying and can get a hold of God. And I appreciate that, right? But half of the time when I feel that spirit in there of just trying to milk me for information... My response is, yeah, why don't you go pray for yourself? Because I'm sorry that you want to know so much about how bad my life has been. You got issues, man. That's a wicked man. He, he devises the wicked. He likes the mischievous thing. He loves evil rather than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. He loves his money. Look at verse 3. Thou lovest evil. The love of money is the root of what? All evil. The love of money is the root of all. A wicked man loves money. You know money's not the enemy? I wish more of God's people had money. I mean God's people that love God. <laughs> because man, you know what you could get done if God's people that love God showed it with their money? You can get a lot done for God. Support a lot of missionaries. You can do a lot of good things. You can build big sanctuaries. And you can get a lot of people packed in. And praise the Lord for all that, right? Money's not the enemy. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Verse number 7 shows it again. Lo, this man that made not God his strength, but trusted in, his, in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. A wicked man boasts in his riches. He loves his money. But a righteous man, verses 8 and 9, he boasts in his Savior. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I told you before, the tree of life's an olive tree, right? The fruit she ate was a grape, not an apple. You didn't get that from a Bible. It's so it's amazing to me how biblically ignorant people are when they think they know the Bible. She, it was a grape. The olive tree is a tree of life. He said, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. You know why you're here tonight? You want to produce some fruit for God. I'll guarantee you, you didn't come through these storms and this kind of rain and come to church on a Wednesday night because you don't care whether or not you produce something for God. I'd be willing to bet you most everybody is here with the right reasons. Maybe not everybody, but most everybody has got the right motive for being in church. And if you got the right motive for being in church, you know what you're going to do? You're going to put your roots down come hell or high water, and you're going to stay in a church that preaches the Bible. You're not going to get your feathers ruffled about anything and go to one of these flim-flamsy churches that don't preach anything. You're going to put your roots down. You're going to say, I'm like a green olive tree and I'm planted. Hey, I'm a pillar in the house of God. First Timothy, Galatians, both talk about how the pillar and ground of the truth be in the church. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. You know what he's boasting in? The mercy of God. You know what he's not saying? I'm such a great guy. I'm such a godly man. He said, I am trusting not only in the mercy of God that saved my soul. I'm trusting the mercy of God that didn't wipe me out today. I'm trusting the mercy of God that blessed me. I'm trusting the mercy of God to get me through to the end. It is because of God's mercies we are not consumed. Because as compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. I am boasting in what an awesome God I serve. He's a wonderful God. And I love Him and I want to talk about Him. But evil men, they don't like Him. 
Verse 9, I'll praise thee forever, because thou hast done it. Notice he's not saying, look what I've done is not this Babylon that I have built. Okay, crawl around for seven years, I think it was, and eat grass like an ox and let your hair grow and your nails grow so all the world can laugh at you. You think you've built anything? We got a great marriage. We got some great kids. We have a great church. I mean, what a wonderful church we've got. Pastor told us the depth on Sunday morning. Our church is so much better than all the other churches. We got it going on. Shut up. If anything's happening, it is God that's done it. Don't you ever deceive yourself. Hey, listen, I'll continue to compliment you when you deserve one. Amen? That's not wrong. But let's not forget, it is not us that has done anything. It is Almighty God that does it. And without Him, we can do nothing. We need Him, and I want to boast in Him tonight. I'm thankful for Him. I want to be that righteous man. He's like a green olive tree. Notice the wicked men will bait you. Not only will righteous and wicked both boast, but they'll both bait This man devised mischief like a sharp razor, looked for evil, lying iniquities, verse 4, devouring words and a deceitful tongue. You know what David's probably thinking back on? That night that Doeg came in there and he's hanging out and he's talking to David and he's all sweet. Hey, yeah, what's going on? And he's looking at David and he's like, something's up. Doeg is. Because not all evil, slimy, cowardly, weak men are stupid. Some of them are brilliant. Some of the most brilliant people on the earth are mass murderers. That's why the brightest minds with the greatest technology have a hard time catching them. Doesn't make him a slimy, worthless pile of junk. Doesn't mean he's not. Just means he happens to have a high IQ. There's that brilliant Doeg standing there. He don't have his sword. He don't have no food. He ain't riding with an entourage like normal. And David's over there talking to the priest and scared half out of his mind. Don't forget he's young. God's got great plans for him, but God's putting him through it right now, man. And that young man of God, that young warrior, that young man packed full of potential that God is trying to develop, but nobody else can see that potential but Saul. So as a result of the potential in him and the threat that he is, Saul's trying to destroy him. Where's an old man that'll pull up alongside of him and say, look at what God's doing with this, and help the kid out? Man, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you love to be the one, the Samuel that helped the kid out? Here he is standing there, and he's sharp as a tack, man. He's, he's learning. He looks over, and his eyes lock eyes with Doeg. And he's like, not good. And I think, I think David would have probably stared at him, and I think Doeg would have probably been like, how's it going, bud? Good to see you, man. Evil, lying, manipulator, baiting. What you doing? Asking questions. Not because he really cares. Because he's trying to set him up. Slimy. Going around the authorities. Waiting for his chance. He's a slime bag is what he is. But don't forget, I mean, I've told you a thousand times. I'll tell you a thousand more. Satan has a silver tongue. Especially you girls need to understand that. You girls need to understand that. A guy will go by what he sees. A girl will go by how she feels. And a genius, evil, wicked man with bad intentions will know how to make you feel like a million, like a princess with his sweet words. And then your dad will say, I don't like him. Why has he got to be like that? Because he's a righteous man and he loves you and he ain't playing around playing games with you. He's telling you the truth. He'd die for you. That loser will spit on your dying body after he's done abusing you and walk out of the room. Don't forget, Amnon had to have her obsessed with her till he got what he wanted. Then he's get out of here. Please, this is worse. This is worse than what you did to me. Please don't do this. You disgust me. After he made her all vulnerable and tore her heart out, then he belittles her and humiliates her and says, get out of my life. That's a wicked man. He baits you. 
Be careful when you're talking to people. Watch who you're talking to. And notice a wicked man will bait you, but you know a righteous man will too? I don't have time to turn there, but if you want to jot down the cross-reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 19, Paul says, being crafty, I caught you with guile. <laughs> you know, it, it, he shows it in verse number 6. He says, the righteous also see in fear and shall laugh at him. What are you laughing at? Why do you laugh like that? I've been asked that more than once. Why are you laughing? Somebody say something stupid. Wrong. Mean. <laughs> I just, what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at you. The Bible says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have, I didn't say you should laugh all the time and be an arrogant idiot. But you know there's times when a righteous man looks at that thing and just shakes his head and just laughs. You know why he's laughing? He's, don't forget, he's on the run, right? He's a righteous man and he's suffering for it. And now he's occasioned the death and his heart is broken for all these many loves got slaughtered by this slimy, evil, wicked type of the Antichrist and a picture of the tribulation period when the Antichrist is wiping out God's people, right? And he's looking at that scene in that situation and he's saying, okay, you do what you want, stupid. You do what you want. I'm going to stick with God. With me, Ahimelech, I shall be in safeguard. Come on, into the ca- Come on into my cave. I know it ain't much. It ain't a big fancy amphitheater like the rest of these slimy preachers got. But we got what God's given us, and you'll be safe here because we're following God. And I know they're after you, but they're after me too. And we got God on our sides, so don't worry about it. Why? I, 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 you shall be what of men? Follow me and I'll make you to become what? Oh, you mean righteous people bait people too? Yeah, but there's a difference between the righteous and the wicked. Wicked bait you to make you fall or to mess you up or to get you into sin or make themselves feel better about their own sin, but a righteous man will bait you to get you on the side of God and get you into the truth. Last point, and we got to go. The betraying of the wicked and the righteous. We're talking about the righteous versus the wicked, right? You know wicked men betray? They're betrayers. I can't stand a disloyal person. Nothing, nothing in my human nature, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying this is necessarily God. I, I, believe there's a, I believe there's a spiritual application of this, but I'm not saying what I'm saying about myself in a testifying sense. I'm not saying this in a necessarily a righteous way. I'm telling you in my human nature, what's ingrained into me, I can't stand, I hate disloyalty. A traitor. Somebody that would sell out their country, sell out their family, sell out their God, sell out their friend. I mean a traitor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Somebody you think is your friend, you find out isn't your friend. Somebody that you were trusting that stabs you in the back. That to me in my human nature is, is I just can't, I can't abide them. I can't stand wicked men that have no character. I can't stand a man that'll see an opportunity to better himself and promote himself. And so as a result of that, he doesn't want to be a servant anymore. He doesn't want to be the chief of the herdsmen anymore. He sees a chance to get up higher in Saul's eyes and he'll do anything it takes, even slaughtering 45 prophets, uh, priests and killing the main priest and wiping out a whole town and killing women and children in order to promote himself. Just a, just a betraying, backstabbing piece of garbage. I can't stand him. You know, wicked men will betray you. Every day of the week, anybody work in the real world? <laughs> They'll step on your head and sink you under the water and let you drown in order to get the promotion. That's a wicked person. Wicked men betray, they betray the truth. In verse 3, he loves evil more than good. You love the truth? Look at verse 5. God likewise shall destroy thee forever, for he shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Selah. You know why? God's a God of truth. Judgment, just and right is he. God's a God of truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the what? You know what the Bible is? Sanctify them through thy truth, thy what? Thy word is truth. God loves truth. You know what you ought never do? You ought never betray the truth. 
My preacher always said, blood's thicker than the Bible. I know I could start a lot of these statements and you can finish them, but I got brainwashed with them and they've helped me, so I'm hoping to give you the same favor. He said, blood's thicker than the Bible. He said, don't forget that. You know what I've learned in church? People's loyalty to the truth only go as far as their emotions allow it. And then when the truth crosses my little baby or the truth crosses me or the truth crosses my mama or my grandmama, my loyalty is no longer to the truth. My loyalty is now to my family. That's betrayal of a wicked man. Do you know you can love your family even when they don't do right? You can still love them without condoning them, defending them, or betraying the truth. Honey, I love you, but you're wrong, and until you get right with God, our relationship is not going to be what it was or what it could be until you straighten up, knucklehead. Now go home and think about that and maybe come back next week if I'm in the mood to look at you. And I love you enough to die for you today, even though you're living like an idiot. Don't betray the truth. The people that love you need you to love truth like that. A wicked man will betray the truth every day of the week, but you know what a righteous man will do? He'll betray himself. What I mean by that is a righteous man will betray the wicked, verse 5, and he'll betray his own flesh. That's what you see in verses 6 through 9. The righteous shall see and fear. What's that? That's the fear of God. And shall laugh at him, lo, this man, this is the man that made not God his strength. So a righteous man says, I'm not trusting in me. If the truth crosses me, then I'll be loyal to the truth and betray myself. Oops, that's called I die daily. That's called death to self. That's called crucified with Christ. We both betray. It's just what do we choose to betray? The truth or the flesh? The truth or sin? He boasts himself, he trusts, he trusts in the, hath uh, um, uh, not made God his strength, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I'll praise thee forever because thou hast done it. Notice ver- the last part of this verse and we're done. I'll wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. You know what he's doing? He's sitting there saying, listen, this doesn't look good. All those people are dead. Doeg's hooked up with Saul, and his, his, his attack on me is getting worse. Things are looking down, not up. But I want to be a righteous man. So what I'm going to do, even though everything's not turning out like I wanted, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to stay with God. I'm going to fear God. And Doeg's going to see in the end, how much better it is to serve God than serve the devil. The righteous versus the wicked. Which one are you? Let's go ahead and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer, no invitation tonight.